The kingdom of God is the theme of this book. We must keep that in mind as we go through the gospel. Now, last week, Pastor Jared began to teach on the parables, and we saw a change in the teaching that was coming from Jesus. He had performed many miracles. He had healed everyone that came to him. He had validated that, indeed, he was the Son of God. He validated the message that he proclaimed. But not only that, but in his teaching, but as Jesus taught with authority, we saw that he revealed the hearts of the people. We all know that's true, right? That's what the truth does. <laughs> truth will reveal the heart. The word is so powerful. But if we look back in chapter 3, when Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, he asked the religious leaders that were all around, he asked him. he said, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. Why? Why? Because they did not want to re reveal what was in their hearts. And it says in verse 5, Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus was grieved at the hardness of their heart, and, and their hardness only grew from there. It only became worse. In verse 22 verse 30, uh, through 30 in chapter 3, we read about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You see, their hearts had become so hardened against God that when they saw the work of the Holy Spirit with their own eyes, they would not give credit to God. Their hardness of their heart against Jesus was so bad that when Jesus cast out demons, instead of saying or recognizing that only God can do that, instead of being amazed at the work of God, they, sat, they said that Satan did it, that he got his power from Satan. How hard can a heart of a, quote, religious leader be, one who knows the scriptures? Ones who should know the truth. How hard a heart is it? How rebellious is the heart that when standing in the presence of God, watching God heal people and cast out unclean spirits, that they would say he did it by the power of Satan. That's a hard heart. That is pretty strong hatred towards Jesus. That is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They committed the unforgivable sin. And because of their hardness of their own hearts, they committed the unforgivable sin. And Pastor Jared pointed out last week, this is the same thing that happened to Pharaoh back in Egypt, if you remember. He saw the mighty works of God, and instead of submitting to God, he hardened his own heart. And when Pharaoh continued in his hatred toward God, God ended up hardening Pharaoh's heart in his unbelief. And that's what Jesus has done here in Mark 3 and 4. When we talk about that, we try to explain that because people have a very difficult time understanding why God would harden someone's heart. He takes no pleasure in the destruction of man. He takes no pleasure in anyone going to eternal damnation. That is not his heart, but he does do that. He does harden the hearts of the hearts of the, of the people who have already hardened their own hearts. The Pharisees and the scribes had hard hearts. They would not believe. They would not, and so Jesus hardened their hearts in their unbelief. And that brings us to chapter 4, where we see Jesus beginning to teach in parables. He, he began teaching to the ones who wanted the truth, whose heart was ready to hear the truth, to the ones who would take the, world, take the word out into the world. And in chapter 4, we see the parable of the sower. Jesus teaches with the parable, and then he gives an explanation of what he taught. He taught on the sower, 
And in verse 13, he explains to a disciple what, 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 he, what it means. And I'm going to read that if you follow with me down chapter 4, verse 13. Do you not understand this parable, he says? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path, that are the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that, was sown, that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they had, have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So, so this is how the truth, this is how the kingdom of God will spread throughout the world. Jesus is teaching his disciples at this time, the ones who are truly following him, the ones who have an ear to hear, and Jesus is explaining how the kingdom will be. He's unlocking the mysteries of the kingdom. He's preparing his people to take the gospel, to take the word out into the world. This is how it will be, Jesus is saying to his followers. Think about this for a minute. Always put yourself in these men's positions. These men, these disciples, did not have a clue as to how all this was going to roll out. We have the complete story. We know how it ends. We understand the cross. We know about the resurrection. They don't. They don't. Jesus is, is, is correcting the way uh, their way of thinking because they, they, they've kind of got off track. You know, they may have been thinking that the Messiah was going to be a, a political savior would put Israel back in control. Doesn't happen that way. They may have been thinking that the Messiah was going to be a military savior and give Israel the strength they once had. It's not who Jesus is. But, but instead, Jesus said, look, the kingdom is going to be like this. You are going to go and sow. And I'll take it from there, he says. This was, <laughs> as I studied this, I remember that time when I realized this truth. This was such a big relief when I understood this truth. You see, you know, young Christian, I'm going to go out there and save the world, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pound them, hit them over the head with my Bible, whatever I need to do. I'm going to make these people believe. And then when someone rejects, rejected the gospel, I would go away, and I'd feel defeated. I'm wondering, you know, what else could I have done? Could I have said this better? You know, I need to take a class to learn how to proclaim the evangelism explosion. i got to get my act together. What else could I have done? These people need to know this truth. But when I realized that the truth is that Jesus is in the saving business, and we are all just sowers. We just proclaim. We're in the proclaiming business. That's what we are. Such a relief, amen? Such a relief. We just be obedient to God and proclaim his word. And that's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is like this. You sow, and I'm in charge of that fruit that will come from it. I'm in charge of the harvest. 
But, you know, you have to realize, again, the hard things of God, that not only is Jesus in charge of the harvest, but he's also in charge of the seed that landed on rocky ground. He's the only one that knows the heart of man. We saw that with the ones who hardened their hearts like Israel did, like Pharaoh did. After a while, God hardens their heart. They don't want to hear it. But for the ones who have an ear to hear, the word will draw them into the message and they will follow Jesus. You know, every time I read this parable, it always reminds me of Paul. He's, he's up there in Corinth. He's been dealing with some hard-hearted people. He's very frustrated. It says he, he shook off his clothes. You know, that's a symbol of I'm done with you. You know, I'm finished with you. And he says to them, your blood will be on your head. I'm going to the Gentiles to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. Now watch what God does. In Acts uh, chapter 18, verse 9, he says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city. Did you get that? I have many in this city who are my people. Paul ended up staying for a year and six months proclaiming the truth but God God is saying hey there are people in that city that are mine not that they will be mine they are mine God knows we don't the disciples didn't either so what did they do what do we do we be obedient we sow seed we spread the word and let God do the work that's how the kingdom will, will grow and so what we see here and throughout Scripture is that when the gospel is preached, that's what we're commanded to do, we can rest in knowing that God is working no matter where that seed lands. You see, God does it. God opens the minds and the hearts of the people so that, so that they can see their sin and they can see their need and they can see that Jesus is the answer to their need and he gives them the ability to believe. So it's very clear that salvation is entirely of God, not of man's doing, no manipula manipulation by man. And that's why God says to Paul, hey, go, go, go proclaim it. I have many of my people in that city. Go and sow seeds. And, you know, some may be asking, why did God set up his kingdom this way? You, you think about that. Why does God use sinners? <laughs> Why does God use his disciples to use Paul, to use people like you and me to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news? This is how he set it up. Well, I don't know. He was expecting an answer, right? Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> but that, that's his plan. That's the mystery of the kingdom of God. God says for his people to sow, and he will bring in his people. That's his plan. He chooses to do it that way, so we must be obedient. Amen? Amen. Now, before we leave this parable, I'd like to repeat one, uh, something one commentator said. He said, the parable of the sower, you know, the belief and unbeliefs here. He said, the parable of the sower is like the cloud that separated the fleeing Israelites from the pursuing Egyptians, bringing darkness to one side and light to the other. That which was blindness to Egypt was revelation to Israel. And God is doing the same thing here with the parable. 
There are ones who are on the dark side who will reject the gospel. And then there are ones who are in the light who are of the kingdom of God. We may not understand all the ways of God, but we must trust that he knows best. We must live in the words that he gave us about the kingdom of God. And know this about the kingdom of God. This will help us better understand the the next parable of the lamp. At Jesus' first coming and in the present age, the kingdom is largely veiled in the face of satanic opposition and human unbelief. You know, this is why you hear people say that, well, Jesus is coming back soon because look how bad this world is. Well, think how bad it would be if there wasn't people like you and I out there proclaiming and loving. Think about how bad it would be if the Spirit of God wasn't moving throughout the earth. You hear people when they say when they see evil in the world, where is God? Where is God? How can he allow this? Listen, again, we don't understand all the things of God, but in spite of all this opposition and unbelief, God's rule takes hold in those who accept Jesus' message and his rule manifests itself in spiritual fruitness in spite of all the opposition. God is not dead. He is on his throne and his kingdom will reign. We know that. We know the end, but the disciples didn't. The people that were there didn't. We know that one day God's kingdom will be openly established on earth at Jesus' second coming with glory yet undisclosed. And as we have seen in the parable, there will be an abundant harvest. So as you read, as you read this, know that even though God's kingdom is veiled, in the future it will be completely open and it will be a glorious time. Like Chris said, we'll see him face to face and that is going to be a glorious time. Amen? So that brings us to the next parable where we see a promise from Jesus, chapter 4, verse 21, a lamp under a basket. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So a lamp is designed to be used as something that will give off light, that that will light the room. That's its purpose, right? You don't purchase a light with the intent to stow it away. You know, no, no, no one's ever looked at a lamp in the store and go, you know what, that would really be useful under the bed. We need to buy that. We need to take that home. Doesn't happen that way. That's not how it works. So as we look at this text, I want to point out a couple things. You may, you may have heard this verse used to challenge people to uh, don't hide their light. That's true. We're not supposed to hide our light, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Or maybe you have used it. They've used, heard the text used that, that the light will reveal sin, which is also true, but that's not what God is saying here. In this text, Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom that has come will be known. Remember, Jesus is revealing the mysteries of the kingdom. The kingdom will be known. It will not be hidden. It will come to light. 
This, this is actually a promise from Jesus. Even with all the darkness in the world, the kingdom is at hand, you see. Don't be disheartened. Think about this. If we look back at the sower parable, only a fourth of the people who hear the truth will understand it. A fourth. That's not good numbers. And I believe that's why Jesus gave this promise as he's telling his disciples. He's telling his disciples, don't be discouraged. The kingdom is here. It will go out unto the people. It will be a light unto the world. So be obedient and rest in God. Trust in God. Maybe the disciples may have been wondering why Jesus seemed to be deliberately hiding the truth of the gospel through the parables. You know, he's taking them off to the side. He's teaching in a different way. Maybe they're sitting there going, why doesn't he just tell everybody? Why is he doing this? Perhaps they even had this thought, like many do today. If the word was going to fall on hard hearts, then why should we sow, sow it so liberally, you know? Shouldn't we just limit our teaching to those who really want to hear it, who are ready to hear it and eager to listen, you know? May it never be. That's not what we're called to do. We are called to sow everywhere. I'm, I'm glad the, the one who shared the gospel with me was not picking and choosing who he would proclaim the message to. Amen. The disciples had to be, and we have to be, like Paul, go and proclaim because God may have people wherever we are, may have his people wherever we are. We are not to hide the good news, but the good news is that the good news will prevail. It will prevail. Listen, through the parables, listen, Jesus is explaining to them, I'm not deliberately trying to hide the truth from the people. That would be like lighting a lamp and putting it under the bed. Why then light the lamp at all? If I am hiding the truth, there is no reason for me to teach, Jesus is saying. He's not hiding the truth. The purpose of the parables is, is not to conceal the truth, but to reveal the truth. The parables explain in everyday terms truth that human minds cannot grasp. Thus, the parables do not obscure. They clarify. They teach. And they open the ears to many. And that's the catch right there. It opens the ears of those who are willing to listen and believe. You know, at this time, I'm thinking the disciples should have been beginning to understand the mission, the mission to which Jesus had called them. Like the farmer in the parable, their job would be sowing the seed of the gospel in a largely hostile world where many would reject the truth, where they would meet opposition at every corner. Remember, he's preparing them. But they can't hide their light. See, the light of the truth about Jesus had illuminated the disciples. It would be their ministry to shine that light in a sin-darkened world. Once you have the light, you can't hide it. You can't do it. Their, their witness for, for Christ would be public, not hidden. Our witness for Christ is public, not hidden. The benefits of knowing Jesus and receiving salvation 
were not to be kept to themselves but passed on to others and the same challenge goes to us. Jesus was preparing his disciples for such a task. It was not going to be easy. But they must trust in God and his ways and know that the word, that the light, that the kingdom will go forth and would prevail. Verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus continued teaching here. Although the truth may be hidden or kept secret for a while, it will not remain so. One day the truth will be revealed and come to light. You know, I, Jesus was speaking the, uh, the days of his ministry as, as the time of using parables, concealing the truth, and being rejected by many. The time of the revelation and coming to light, I believe, refers to Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And the reason I say that is, is that Jesus said that the kingdom did not come to be hidden, but to be revealed to all. Such revelation, however, could not be made fully until after Jesus' death and resurrection. That, that, that's when his followers would fully understand his word, would fully understand the truth. That's, that's when, his when his disciples would be able to fully understand his teaching. To fully understand his parables. Who are his followers? They are the ones who have ears to hear. That's an important statement. Used many times by Jesus. When Jesus says if anyone has an ear to hear. Let him hear. He's speaking. He's speaking of a deeper kind of listening. Hearing not just with the ears. Lots of people have ears and hear. How many times have we as parents tell our children to do something and they don't do it and we ask them, did you hear what I told you? Yeah. Why didn't you do what I said? I don't know. Parents in the room said amen. But, but you see, they heard with their ears but they did not listen with their minds and heart. Jesus is talking about not just hearing with the ears when he says this. He says, but with the mind and the heart also, internalizing the truth. One who hears with the mind and heart, they are the ones who gain spiritual understanding from the parables that Jesus told. That's why he says, hey, for ones who have ears, let them hear. They gain spiritual understanding when they hear or read the word. The honest seekers would understand the parables and would go deeper into the things of God and be willing to do as God commands. And so, again, God's preparing his disciples to go out and he's challenging them. Let those who have a ear to hear, to listen to what he says. And he says to them, verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention. Take heed to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
This is especially important for the disciples to understand. Again, Jesus is preparing them to carry forward the kingdom work. This is a big task. They, they don't have the complete word of God in their hand like we do. The cross has not come. There has not been a resurrection yet. The, the disciples are, are living this out. You know, we could look back at their lives and see what they did and see how they handled what God challenged them to do, but they couldn't look forward. All they have is the teaching of God at that moment. And so as you break this passage down, you look at it, it says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Pay attention, Jesus said. Pay attention to what you hear right now. Take heed to what I am saying. What are they to take heed of? What did Jesus proclaim? He came proclaiming the gospel message, right? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Take heed to what you hear, he says. If one accepts this proclamation that I just said, God will give them a share in his kingdom at that time. When you get saved, you share in his kingdom at that time. Now, even more will be added in the future. Every time one acquires fresh truth and allows it to become real in their lives, they are sure to be given more truth. Think about that. Look back at your walk with God. I sure hope you're not still, I mean, I hope not, <laughs> that you're not in the same place <laughs> when it comes to the knowledge of God as, as you were when you first heard the gospel. You see what I'm saying? We are to grow in the word. We are to grow in the knowledge of God. We are to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We are to become more like Christ as we walk this earth. That's called progressive sanctification. We are to become more like Christ as we grow in our knowledge of him. One of my favorite sayings of Adrian Rogers, if you're growing, you're a tree. If you're not growing, you're a post. I like that. Even more will be added. To be honest, you know, throughout Scripture, we see that the message of salvation cannot be accepted without action. You know, you cannot be illuminated by God and not let your light shine. We are called to bear fruit, whatever that looks like. We are called to bear fruit. We can always go to the well-known passage of James 2, 14 through 15. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So if by faith, if it does not have works, it is dead. We could go to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Putting the word into action is how we grow. Sharing truth with others is how we grow. 
Jesus is telling the disciples, look, when you become a part of the kingdom, things change. Everything changes. Not only are you forgiven of your sins, yes, but you become a part of the advancement of the kingdom. You are no longer of this world. You now belong to the kingdom of God. That's the world you now live in. And that's the same for all of us. We now participate in the advancement of the kingdom. We understand truth. We think differently. We have a biblical worldview. We see the world with different eyes. And because of that change, because of who we all are, we should desire to please God. That desire should be in our hearts at all times. We should desire to be more like Christ. We should desire to know the word and to share the word with a lost and dying world, like Chris said earlier this morning. The truth is, for the ones who hear and understand truth, they are the ones that will be faithful with the truth that God has given them. They will share it. And you know what? They will receive more and more and more truth. You know, I, I've been studying God's word for 25 years now. I mean, hard at it. And God has revealed so much truth to me. But yet I feel like I only know about that much. You know, it, it's the word's amazing. But God keeps revealing truth. You know, I, I think I've told this story before. Uh, my friend Chuck, he said his, his dad was a pastor, been preaching for like 55 years, you know. And I was like, this is when I first got saved. I said, I had the Bible, 55 years. He said, yeah. I said, it's just a book, you know. It's only that thick. Come on. I'm amazed, amazed how the word is so, so big, so amazing, and such depth in there. When you receive the truth, you will share it. And when you share it, you receive more. Whatever we measure out in sharing the truth with others comes back to us with compound interest. That's what the scripture is telling us. There is nothing more rewarding than sharing the word of God with others. Is it? Is anything more fulfilling? Nothing compares. Bruce Barton says, and I like that guy, because the parables are so important in what they teach, Jesus warned the people to pay attention to his words. We must treasure the words of Jesus. Those who hear, understood, and then share with others will be given even more understanding to pass along. Believers are responsible to use well their God-given understanding, insight, and opportunities to share the gospel. Whether they have little or much, that is not nearly as important as what is done with what they have. It is the measure with which they give that determines what more will be given. Even then, still more will be given because of a person's openness and perception of the kingdom message will, be, will bring great rewards. Ultimately, believers will receive eternal blessings in heaven. You know, that's a sweet, sweet promise. That's a sweet promise to the ones who have heard and understood and share the truth. Now, on the other side of that promise, there's what I call a warning in a sense. Listen, you cannot understand, you cannot hear the truth 
understand the truth and not respond. You cannot hear the message of salvation and, and think, well, you know, I'll accept that free gift later. You see, they understand it, but there's no response. The gospel message is not one that cannot be pushed aside without consequences. Because Jesus says, failure to respond to the truth results in a loss of what was previously acquired. He says, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We see this with the Pharisees and the scribes, right? They were the ones who handled and studied the scriptures. And now their hearts are hardened and they cannot understand the truth that Jesus is proclaiming. They cannot comprehend what the kingdom of God is. They can't do it. If one rejects God's word, that one suffers absolute loss because even the opportunity he has for a share in the kingdom now will someday be taken away from him. Heartbreaking. I don't know how many opportunities God will give someone to accept his love before he closes the door. I don't know. I don't know if you reject the gospel that your heart will get harder and harder each time you hear it until God hardens your heart. I don't know where that line is. But it's something to think about. If you are rejecting God, if you are waiting to act on the truth that you heard, something to think about. I had a friend that I shared the gospel with, and he told me he was, he was going to live like he wanted, and when he got old, he would accept Jesus as his Savior. He heard it. He understood it. He said, I'll wait. I looked at him. I said, I'll pray you don't get hit by a truck on your way home. You know? We're not promised a day on this earth. We're not promised a day. My thought was, you know, if you don't want salvation now, if you hear it and understand it, if you don't want it now, if you don't want the greatest gift that one could ever receive now, what makes you think you, you'll want it later or you'll accept it on your deathbed? Jesus says from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We must not presume that a door will be open to follow Jesus when we get ready. Today is the day of salvation. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, don't wait another minute. Amen? Amen. Don't wait another minute. So Jesus is preparing his disciples to carry out the message of the kingdom of God. He's preparing them to proclaim, to proclaim the gospel of God. To tell the world the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He's preparing his disciples for rejection. He's preparing their hearts to trust in him no matter how much opposition they receive. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nation. Share the truth that God has given you. A command not just for the disciples on that day, but for us also. The more we share the truth, the more we will be given. We must trust that God knows what he is doing, and we must trust in his plan. We must trust that the kingdom will prevail. We have proof that he is in control and that his plan for the kingdom will persevere. We have the scriptures. We can look back. 
Our Lord began on that day with 12 apostles. 12, they say 12 ordinary men. I say a motley crew. I don't know. 12 men. Later, after the resurrection, there were as many as 500 believers. Peter won 3,000 at the Pentecost, and throughout the book of Acts, that number steadily increased. In spite of the sins and the weakness of the church, the message has been carried to other nations. And one day, saints from every nation shall worship before his throne. What a glorious day that will be. So don't ever doubt God. Trust that he is working and go and proclaim the truth. Amen.